Is plastic as bad as we think it is? Do we need to get rid of all plastic in the world? This and more on today's episode. I'm Valentina and welcome to My Life Without Plastic. Hello friends and welcome to another episode and another day in my life without plastic. Today's episode and topic is rather interesting and I have to tell you I actually did the research for today's topic a couple of months ago. I even wrote a script for the episode but just you know things got in the way and I decided to take a break um, from all social media and my podcast as well. So I never got to publish it. Um, so I think it's going to be just as interesting for me to go over that research again with you guys because I honestly don't really remember everything that I put together. So we'll see what I found out. I'll be just as surprised as you this time. It's almost like someone else is telling me um, the stories instead of myself doing it. But, um, you know, it was really not easy doing this research. I feel like on the one hand, this topic tends to get just so boring. Um, and it's funny that I'm saying it because literally I've spent the last two years trying to better educate myself and others about plastic pollution specifically. And oh, yeah, by the way, today's topic is plastic pollution or plastic in general. <laughs> I forgot to mention it, but now that you know that, it was kind of, um, I guess it was a paradox that I've spent the last two years trying to do my best to ditch plastic from my life. And yet I still find it boring at times reading through all that's out there. And, you know, what's hard, I feel like a lot of that data is also outdated or there are just some random numbers thrown in there. So... I really tried my best to look up multiple sources, compare the data for you, um, and just try to be as factual as possible. Um, but like always, I encourage you guys to also do your own research. I'm just trying to, you know, put some ideas out there into the world and motivate you guys to look more into those topics. Um, but more importantly than that, I felt like just having another episode and highlighting the numbers is not really interesting. I mean, I'm sure for the most part, most of you have heard those numbers in one way or another. I really don't want to repeat all news. So instead, I wanted to focus on the concept of plastic overall. I feel like we all know by now that it's bad, right? Like, why do we still use it? How essential is it actually to our lives? Those are the kind of main areas I want to touch base today and not just the numbers of this is how many pounds of um, plastic trash we have in the landfills. I feel like it's something that we hear quite often. Um, and you know what? What better way to start than a quick history lesson. <laughs> so let's see how did plastic start? Why did we have a need for its invention? Because obviously anytime we invent a new something new, a new product, there's always a need for it. There's a problem, we're looking for a solution, and then we come up with something new. So why did we come up with plastic? Um, let's see, how did plastic start and why did we 
begin using it and continue using it, obviously. All right, what are plastics and where do they come from? So plastic is a word that originally meant pliable and easily shaped. It only recently became a name for a category of materials called polymers. The word polymer means of many parts. I know I'm going to be mentioning a couple of like weird words now, so please bear with me. I think that's important to understand why plastic became such a big thing. Okay, so we know it stands for pliable and easily shaped, and the word polymer means of many parts. Don't forget that. It's going to come into play a little bit later of many parts. Polymers are made of long chains of molecules. Um, polymers abound in nature. Cellulose, the material that makes up the cell walls of plants, is a very common natural polymer. Over the last century and a half, humans have learned how to make synthetic polymers, sometimes using natural substances like cellulose, but more often using the plentiful carbon atoms provided by petroleum and other fossil fuels. So I guess if you've never heard of it, now that's news to you, plastic comes from petroleum. <laughs> so synthetic polymers are made up of long chains of atoms arranged in repeating units, often much longer than those found in nature. Um, so that's an, a big distinguishment, right? Cellulose, it's a natural polymer. And then when we talk about the synthetic ones, we have to emphasize that the chains of atoms that uh, make up those synthetic polymers usually are much longer than those found in nature. It is the length of the of these chains and the patterns in which they are um, arranged that make polymers strong, lightweight, and flexible. In other words, it's what makes them so plastic. It's right like what we identify as plastic, strong, lightweight, and flexible. These properties make synthetic polymers exceptionally useful, and since we learned how to create and manipulate them, polymers have become an essential part of our lives, especially over the last 50 years. Plastics have saturated our world and changed the way we live. So, the first synthetic plastic, how did it come to be? The first synthetic polymer was invented in 1869 by John Wesley Hyatt, who was inspired by a New York firm's offer of $10,000 for anyone who could provide a substitute for ivory. Now, a little bit of a background on ivory. The growing popularity of billiards had put a strain on the supply of natural ivory. And where is natural ivory obtained? Well, it's obtained through the slaughter of wild elephants among other animals, but mainly wild elephants. So by treating cellulose um, derived from cotton fiber with camphor, Hyatt discovered a plastic that could be crafted into a variety of shapes and made to imitate natural substances like tortoise shell, horn, linen, and ivory. So the, this discovery was revolutionary. For the first time, human manufacturing was not constrained by the limits of nature. Nature only supplied so much wood, metal, stone, bone, tusk, horn, and so on. But now humans could create new materials. So this development helped not only people 
But if you think about it, also the environment, advertisements praised celluloid as the savior of the elephant and the tortoise. Plastics could protect the natural world from the destructive forces of human needs. I think that this is um, just such an important stepping stone to recognize. Plastic was not invented to be bad. Plastic was actually invented as a solution. Uh, I mean, think about it. What would you prefer? Killing elephants and other animals for natural ivory or rather using plastic billards, uh, you know, balls and so on. I think it's very important to keep that in mind as we continue talking about how plastic developed from here on. So yeah, you heard it right. (laughs) Plastic was meant to save the world, to save the animals. So in the second half of the 19th century, the world faced a crisis that stemmed from the love of billiards, right? Elephants were being slaughtered in the thousands so that people could harvest their tusks to make high-quality billiard balls. Between three and five could be made from a tusk, meaning at least two animals had to be killed for every set of balls. And this is just one example among so many more. I'm going to repeat this between, um, so we needed back in the days, at least two animals, two elephants to be killed for every set of balls for billiard. Um, putting this into perspective, I think it makes just so much sense to have a material like plastic that um, very closely mimics and behaves like the natural material, but obviously saves all of these animals. Um, the creation of new materials also helped free people from the social and economic constraints imposed by the scarcity of natural resources. Inexpensive celluloid made material wealth more widespread and obtainable. And the plastics revolution was only getting started. So how did we go from using plastic to literally save nature, to save animals, to what it is today. Well, in 1907, Leo Baclint invented the Bakelite, uh, the first fully synthetic plastic, meaning it contained no molecules found in nature. Bakelint had been uh, searching for a synthetic substitute for shellac, a natural electrical insulator to meet the needs of the rapidly electrifying United States. Bakelite was not only a good insulator, it was also durable, heat resistant, and unlike celluloid, ideally suited for mechanical mass production. Marketed as the material of a thousand uses, Bakelite could be shaped or molded into almost anything, providing endless possibilities. So Hyatt's and Bakelite's successes led major chemical companies to invest in the research and development of new polymers. Uh, New plastics soon joined celluloid and Bakelite, while Hyatt and Bakelite um, had been searching for materials with specific properties, the new research programs sought new plastics for their own sake and worried about finding uses for them later. So it was just such an exciting time um, just going through all of these developments so rapidly that now people all of a sudden were like, you know what, let's see what we can create 
and then find use for it later. Uh, so now it was no longer about we have a problem and this is how we're going to solve it. It was simple curiosity. What is this material? What can we make out of it? Uh, what can we shape it into? What can we replace stuff um, with it? And so on. So it was real genuine curiosity of finding out all possible ways we could use that material and then later seeing if there would be a potential use. And obviously now, knowing how things went, <laughs> we definitely know there was a use for it, but not a necessary need, right? So we found ways to use them, but was there a genuine need for some of those products? We'll, we'll see. We'll see a little bit later in, in the episode. So World War II came around. Um, and around the time, a great expansion of the plastics industry in the United States um, was just really necessary. As industrial might proved as important as victory uh, to victory as military success. So the war was not just about uh, victory in the military area, but also what can, what in what other areas can be. Can we be more advanced than other nations? And the industrial sector was obviously part of it. So the need to preserve scarce natural resources made the production of synthetic alternatives a priority. Plastics provided those substitutes. Nylon, invented by Wallace Carothers in 1935 as a synthetic silk, right, was used during the war for parachutes, ropes, body armor, helmet liners, and more. Imagine having had to use actual natural silk for all of these products. Instead, they used nylon. Um, plexiglass provided an alternative to glass for aircraft windows. A Time Magazine article noted that because of the war, plastics have been turned to new uses and the adaptability of plastics demonstrated all over again. So during World War II, plastic production in the United States increased by 300%. I think that's um, pretty remarkable to see how we went from trying to simply replace literally billiard board uh, balls um, and stop killing wild elephants for them with a simple material to now exploring all kinds of synthetic ways of making that material, um, regardless of what shapes come out of it, how durable, how lightweight, and so on, how strong it is, regardless of all these factors, just trying to create something and then finding use for it, to now literally finding use for it in almost any area. So the surge in plastic production continued after the war ended. Um, after experiencing the Great Depression and then World War II, Americans were ready to spend again. Um, much more of what they bought was made of plastic. According to author Susan Frank, Frank, Frankel, in product after product, market after market, plastics challenged traditional materials and won, taking the place of steel and cars, paper and glass in packaging, and wood in furniture. 
The possibilities of plastics gave some observers an almost utopian vision of a future with abundant material wealth thanks to an inexpensive, safe, sanitary substance that could be shaped by humans to their every whim. So as you see, um, the dangers of plastics at this point were not really known or at least not emphasized. Uh, people just saw it as an amazing alternative. And why not? If it's cheaper, if it's better in a way, right? Why not? Um, in some cases, safer as well than its natural alternative. Why not use it? And people just did not know or did not consider any of the consequences that would come with it. So the unblemished optimism about plastics obviously didn't last. In the post-war years, there was a shift in American perception as plastics were no longer seen um, as something so positive. Plastic uh, debris, for one, in the oceans was first observed in the 1960s, a decade in which Americans became increasingly aware of environmental problems. Rachel Carson's 1962 book, Silent Spring, exposed the dangers of chemical pesticides. And in 1969, a major oil spill occurred off the California coast and the polluted um, river, Cuyahoga River in Ohio, caught fire, raising concerns about pollution. As awareness about environmental issues spread, the persistence of plastic waste began to trouble observers. Um, and just think about it. Why did it come all of a sudden, um, I guess, so shockingly to so many people? Well, just like anything else, you buy a product, you use it. At some point, this product is either not usable anymore or you just want to swap it for something new. What happens to it? you donate it, throw it out, find another purpose for it, whatever it is, it's not with you anymore. And the truth is, other natural resources, they either decompose, biodegrade, and so on. But with plastic, it just stayed. So after years of using plastic and mass producing it for so many different products, now people were beginning to see the actual impact of it. So plastic gradually became a word to describe something that was cheap, flimsy, or fake. Um, so in other words, it was no longer positive. It was now actually something negative. Uh, in The Graduate, one of the top movies of 1968, Dustin Hoffman's character was urged by an older acquaintance to make a career in plastics. Audiences cringed along with Ho uh, Hoffman at what they saw as misplaced enthusiasm for an industry that, rather than being full of possibilities, was actually a symbol of cheap, uh, conformity and superficiality and obviously we can see so much of it in pop culture as well the way plastic is being used is not really positive uh, it it just really just means something cheap something fake um, and it completely changed its meaning and perception in society Plastic's reputation fell further in the 1970s and 80s as anxiety about waste increased. Plastic became a special target because while so many plastic products are disposable, plastic lasts forever in the environment. 
it was the plastics industry that offered recycling as a solution. Um, I think that's very interesting to keep in mind. So in the 1980s, the plastics industry led an influential drive encouraging municipalities to collect and process recyclable materials as part of their waste management system. However, recycling is far from perfect, and most plastics still end up in landfills or in the environment. We're going to have to have an entirely different episode about recycling because it's just such a huge topic um, that it really deserves its own time. But just to highlight the overall, um, you know, I guess, um, way, uh, the way it works, it doesn't really do good. Um, it's better than, you know, the trash just landing in a landfill, but recycling is definitely so far from perfect. Um, and there's so many ways for plastic waste to still slip through cracks, not get recycled properly. There's too many rules that people don't even know about what's recyclable and what is not. Um, which again, we're not going to get into right now, but grocery store plastic bags, for example, have become a target for activists looking to ban one use or what they call single use disposable plastics. Um, and several American cities have actually already passed uh, bag bans. The ultimate symbol of the problem of plastic waste is the Great Pacific Garbage Patch which has often been described as a swirl of plastic garbage the size of Texas floating in the Pacific Ocean. The plastic um, reputation, or I guess the reputation of plastic, has suffered further thanks to a growing concern about the potential threat they pose to human health. Uh, these concerns focus on the additives such as the much-discussed um, BPA, and a class of chemicals called phthalates. I'm not, I'm not a chemist, but something like that. That those go into plastics during the manufacturing process, making them more flexible, durable, and transparent. And some scientists and members of the public are concerned about evidence that these chemicals leach out of plastics and into our food, water, and bodies. In very high doses, these chemicals can definitely disrupt the endocrine or horm hormonal system. Uh, researchers worry particularly about the effects of those chemicals on children and what continued accumulation means for future generations. So as you see, after so many years, we started seeing some of the consequences and now we're wondering, well, what are going to be the consequences for the generations um, going forward? Because plastic's not going anywhere right now. Uh, even if we're trying to reduce it, do we still have all of that waste um, that is there, right? Okay, let's see what some people say in favor of plastic. Because you already know, on this channel, we always explore all sides and are not biased people. <laughs> so um, we already talked about how plastic started as something positive and now we see it as something negative. But there's still people who genuinely believe that plastic must stay and plastic um, has to be or is an integral part of our society. So some people argue that plastic inventions changed American society for the better. 
the low cost and versatility of plastics made consumer goods more widely accessible and allowed for critical developments in innumerable fields. Plastics improved safety with inventions like padded foam dashboards and bicycle helmets. Fuel efficiency got a boost from lighter cars. The use of plastics in medical devices and procedures led to advancements in medicine and widespread improvements in human health. Plastics also made possible the technological revolution that created cell phones and other high-powered computers. American standards of living have improved dramatically in the last half century, in large part because of plastics. Innovators continue to explore new ways to make and use plastics. Recently, plastics made from plant sources like corn and sugar have been introduced. Scientists are also investigating ways to make truly biodegradable plastics that address disposable, uh, disposal concerns. The possibilities for new developments in polymer science are endless. The incredible advances of the past century have been aided by government uh, support, not by limits and regulations. To remain the momentum, uh, to maintain the uh, momentum of scientific advancement, innovation must be encouraged and supported. Um, I'm gonna just reread those last two sentences because I think it it sums up the point of these this specific group of people in support of plastic um, very well. So the incredible advances of uh, the past century have been aided by government support, not by limits and regulations. To maintain the momentum of scientific advancement, innovation must be encouraged and supported. So. We'll talk more about the new alternatives to plastic in a bit, but let's focus on the innovations part for now. Uh, many things that we take for granted today depend on it, right? Milk, for instance, no longer has to be delivered in glass bottles, making it safer and, you know, much easier to transport. Plastic has also allowed supermarkets to offer a wide range of fresher produce in a variety of portion sizes. Grapes, for example, sold in sealed trays rather than loose bunches have reduced waste in stores by more than 20%. Um, why is this important to consider? When you go to a grocery store, and I'm part of it, I will admit, I always try to grab um, produce that doesn't come wrapped in any kind of packaging. Because I just feel like um, if, even if, if at times it's more expensive, and let's be honest, very often it is more expensive. I don't know why. I still do it. I can afford it. I decide to do it. This is my way of contributing to this cause. But think about it. Retail stores or grocery stores, they say that um, selling products or produce in plastic uh, wraps, packaging, whatever you want to call it, has actually reduced waste by more than 20%. Because if the store doesn't sell produce for a set number of days, they have to throw them away. Th that Those products go bad. And if uh, the produce is wrapped in plastic packaging, it will be preserved for much longer. So... Yes, we always criticize stores and say, but why don't you just get rid of plastic uh, wraps and plastic packaging? 
And there's a reason why, because food waste is a very real problem. It's plastic waste is not the only problem we're facing. Uh, food waste is a very, very big one. Uh, so we have to see how we can find a balance and how we can tackle this problem, not by creating more problems, but by actually finding a solution. So consumers are advised by the Food Standards Agency to put, for example, raw chicken in plastic bag to avoid the risk of food poisoning. You know, if you freeze meat, for example, that's not packaged, it would just get freezer burn, which basically makes it dry out and not really pleasant to consume. So plastic uh, bags have also helped preserve food um, at home, not just at grocery stores. Modern medicine also uh, has greatly benefited from the disposable plastic syringe invented in 1955. Sterile plastic packaging and disposable medical items have helped prevent countless infections, one of the world's leading causes of that. Just think about living in a time where you had to get this like rusty, weird-looking syringe stuck into you God knows how many people have been through it and how sterilized that thing was. But now we have plastic syringes that are disposable and we have obviously significantly reduced um, or almost entirely eliminated any kind of infections that could come out of that. And what about 3D printing? Have you seen how far we've gotten with 3D printing, being able to create, for example, prosthetics for people and animals like never before? All of that is from plastic. So for all of these reasons, we can't force ourselves to turn back the clock to a pre-plastic age. The challenge is rather to mitigate the worst effects of plastic and find ways to well, ways of reducing the pollution it causes. Now, obviously, um, as I said, we should be taking all this information that is presented to us with a grain of salt. And there are always going to be uh, people who are extremely in favor and extremely against so many different topics. Plastic is one of them. There are people who, like I said, point out all of the benefits that have come out of plastic. Um, and they are undeniable, right? Specifically, in medicine, for example, you can't deny the benefits that we've gotten from there. And there's always going to be people who say we need to entirely eliminate plastic. Okay, um, let's talk about the problem. Currently, plastic accounts for a little over 12% of the total uh, municipal solid waste generated, which is about 35.7 million tons. This number is for one single year in the United States. So it's safe to say that this is a very large scale problem, right? We're talking about 35.7 million tons. Um, now, let me break down these numbers for you real quick. According to the Environmental Protection Agency, in the United States, we generate 292.4 million tons of municipal solid waste. These include, this includes all waste, not just plastic. So out of this, we only recycle 69 million tons of waste. So you can see that we only recycle a pretty small portion of all the waste we generate. Now, the sad part is that from those 69 million tons of recycled waste, only 4.38% comes from plastic. This is exactly 3 million tons. So to recap, 
we generate 35.7 million tons of plastic waste a year and barely recycle 3 million of it. I think that sometimes numbers make a topic kind of confusing, but also putting it this way really shows how little we actually recycle when it comes to plastic specifically. And obviously there are other areas for improvement. I'm not saying that plastic is the only problem we have, but it is a big one that has already started to show its very bad effects on our environment and also our health. If you think about something as simple as going to the grocery store, the average consumer typically uses a single-use plastic bag for 12 minutes. After those 12 minutes, it can take up to 1,000 years for a plastic bag to decompose. And, you know, during the last episode, um, not the last episode, but the uh, the previous one that I had posted, I actually spoke about the Great Pacific Garbage Patch and the tremendous efforts of cleaning it up. Well, to put it into perspective, the Great Pacific Garbage Patch is around 1.6 million square kilometers according to Forbes in an article from 2019. And that's an area twice the size of Texas. And in other words, three times the size of France. And there are about five garbage patches in the ocean worldwide. So the Pacific one is the biggest one, but there's more. So you can quickly see how the problem that appears to be none of our concern for quite a long time, very drastically does become everyone's concern. We are polluting our beaches, killing our marine lives, and really endangering life as we know it. Um, and obviously there are specific animals that are more affected than others. Uh, some of them are fish, sea turtles, dolphins and whales, sea lions, seals, seabirds. Uh, specifically, those are the most affected ones by plastic pollution. And like I said, this doesn't only affect marine life, it also affects the environment as a whole. Um, and again, plastic is not the only polluter in this case. There's definitely a problem with agriculture, excess nitrogen, phosphorus causing overgrowth of algae and other, other, um, other different risks. But plastic acts as a killer in a different way. It definitely affects marine life by entangling them, for example, uh, I'm sure everyone has seen the sea turtle video with plastic straw stuck in its head. Um, over a hundred thousand marine animals die every year from plastic entanglement and ingestion. More than 650,000 marine animals, including dolphins, whales, seals, and turtles are killed or injured in fishing nets every year. Left in the ocean, ghost nets, as they're called, become death traps for almost any animal they come into contact with. But you know, one of the problems I've encountered over the last two years researching plastic and trying to learn and educate people more about it is that people still have this concept of plastic um, as something big and visible. And the truth is that we've moved on from that stage. We already are literally knee-deep <laughs> into the problem and have to deal now with microplastics. And yeah, you heard it right. Single-use plastics suck and pollute, but at least it's something we see and can visually uh, get and get rid of. But what about microplastics? Do you know what that is? Have you actually ever heard of it? Do you know how to get rid of it? Well, microplastics um, are small pieces of plastic, less than five 
millimeters, 0.2 inches in length, that occur in the environment as a consequence of plastic pollution. Microplastics are present in a variety of products, from cosmetics to synthetic clothing to plastic bags and bottles. Many of these products readily enter uh, the environment in waste. So this means that microplastics can literally enter the waterways just because of the shampoo you use at home. And microplastics are divided into two types, primary and secondary. So the primary microplastics enter the environment directly through any of the various channels, for example, product use, like personal care products being washed into wastewater systems from households and so on, unintentional loss from spills during manufacturing or transport, or abrasion during washing, so laundering of clothes with the, with synthetic um, textiles. And secondary microplastics form from the breakdown of larger plastics. This typ- typically happens when larger plastics undergo weathering through exposure, um, for example, wave action, wind abrasion, and ultraviolet radiation from sunlight. So microplastics are a source of air pollution occurring in dust and airborne fibrous particles. The health effects of microplastics inhalation are obviously unknown yet. By 2018, in marine um, and freshwater ecosystems combined, microplastics had been found in more than 114 aquatic species. Microplastics have been found lodged in the digestive tracts and tissues of various um, sea animals, including crabs, uh, fish, birds, and so on. Fish and birds are likely to ingest microplastics floating on the water surface, mistaking it um, for food because the plastic bits can look like food. The ingestion of microplastics can cause aquatic species to consume less food and therefore to have less energy to carry out life functions, so it can result in neurological and reproductive toxicity. But to wrap it up, the problem, you know, there is a problem, but there's also something good about it. We are taking actions, um, so I do want to acknowledge that. I don't want it to seem like we're just thinking and not doing anything about it. So actually, back in 2015, Congress amended the Federal Food, uh, Drug, and Cosmetic Act by passing the Microbead-Free Waters Act of 2015. Uh, Microbead-Free Waters Act of 2015 prohibits the manufacturing, packaging, and distribution of rinse-off cosmetics containing plastic um, microbeads. This new law applies to products that are both cosmetic and non-prescription, also known as over-the-counter drugs, for example, toothpaste. According to the FDA, the concern is that microbeads may be may not be filtered through treatment filtration systems and end up in our lakes, oceans, where they may be mistaken for food by small fish and other wildlife. The new law does not address consumer safety, and we do not have evidence uh, suggesting that plastic microbeads, as used in cosmetic, pose human health concern. I feel like plastic is an amazing material that has truly enabled um enabled truly enabled us to innovate and create things to truly better society but at the same time we've slipped away a little from its main purpose which is that plastic is a very durable material that is meant to last and i'll repeat 
plastic is meant to last. It's not meant to be a shopping bag for 12 minutes. It's not meant to be a plastic straw you drink for a night out. So it's really up to us how we use it and what we make out of it. But, um, you know, a little bit about the future of plastics. Despite growing mistrust, plastics are critical to modern life. Uh, plastics made possible the development of computers, cell phones, most of the life-saving advances in modern medicine, lightweight and good for insulation. Plastics helps um, save fossil fuel used in heating and in transportation. Perhaps most important, inexpensive plastics raised the standard of living and made material abundance more readily available. Without plastics, many possessions that we take for granted might be out of reach for all but the richest Americans. And this is important to understand. Plastic has allowed for products to be more widespread and available to people from all walks of life. Uh, replacing natural material with plastic has made many of our possessions cheaper, lighter, safer, stronger. So since it's clear that plastic uh, has a valuable place in our life, obviously, some scientists are attempting to make plastic safer and more sustainable. Some innovators are developing bioplastics, which are made from plant crops instead of fossil fuels, to create substances that are more environmentally friendly than conventional plastics. Others are working to make plastic um, that is truly biodegradable. Some innovators are actually searching for ways to make recycling more efficient, and they even hope to perfect a process that converts plastic back into the fossil fuels from which they were derived. All of these innovators recognize that plastics are not perfect, but that they are an important and necessary part of our future. So yeah, while I do welcome you on my journey to ditch plastic, I welcome you in my life without plastic, I also can recognize that plastic has helped us in so many areas um, and that it has become essential in so many areas. It's made life in so many different ways safer for us. Uh, it's bettered life for us. Um, so I think that plastic is a very typical topic where people tend to just pick two extreme sides. You either pro or con like there's no in between and i really think that the truth specifically for plastic lies somewhere in between um we kind of need to go back to the original purpose why did we invent plastic we invented plastic to save the world to save the environment to save the elephants that was the purpose of it um, and now it's turned into a weapon killing animals again so we have to come to a middle ground and recognize that plastic has to be used in its real purpose, which is being durable, being strong. And, it, you know, th that's the main purpose of it. Um, so let's say no to the single-use plastic. Let's say no to the plastic straws um, that we get when we go out to the single-use bags that we get in the grocery store. But let's still encourage 
the use of plastic in all of these other areas like medicine that have helped um, because plastic has helped just come up with so many innovations in that area, for example, among others. But medicine is something that's very um, obvious, something that anyone can recognize. So I'm really curious to hear what you guys think about it. Um, I did not include a conspiracy segment in this episode because I feel like um, in and of itself, plastic is just such a such a contradicting topic uh, that it's not really worth it having an entire conspiracy um, segment of the episode. I mean, if you're pro-plastic, then the opposite would be a conspiracy for you. If you're against, then the pro-plastic opinions would count as conspiracy for you. So I kind of tried to present both sides. Why do I think that um, it's good? Why do I think that it can be bad? And I hope that that also, again, encourages you to do some research on your own. Um, I would be very curious to to hear what you guys think about plastic. Um, if your opinion maybe has changed, if, if this episode has made you think deeper about it. Um, if maybe now you're going to make an effort to ditch more of it, or maybe now you're not going to judge people as much when you see them grabbing something wrapped in plastic. Um, but yeah, let me know. I'm very curious to find out what you guys um, think about that. And definitely stay tuned for next week's episode. Today we talked about plastic and next week we'll be talking about water. Um, just going through all of the resources out there. Um, so definitely stay tuned to find out all of the ins and outs of where we stand with water. Is it running out? What's happening? <laughs> so... That's all for today. See y'all next week. Bye.